Andrea Smith, and I have the privilege of being the pastor here at West, and whether you're worshiping with us here in the auditorium this morning or you're worshiping with us online, we extend a very special and warm welcome to you. We are going to celebrate the Sacrament of Communion in just a little bit, so if you're worshiping with us online, I invite you to take a few moments, either now or later on in the service during the music part of Communion, and grab yourself some uh, cracker or some bread or something like that in your house and uh, or wherever you are, and some juice. And we invite you to participate in the sacrament of communion with us because we value our online campus as much as we value those that are here in person. And uh, thanks for coming out on a Panthers game. That's impressive. So thanks for doing that. We are still in our message series called Skeletons in the Closet. And actually what happens in our lives if we do not confront the skeletons that are in our closet, they end up attaching themselves to us and uh, some stuff happens with that. And so that's what we're going to look at today. I want us to go ahead and jump right into the scripture. We're going to look at something that happened when Jesus was celebrating communion with those that were closest to him. It was not really known as communion at the time. It was called the Passover feast. This is actually right before he is arrested and taken to trial and, and ultimately crucified. He's celebrating the the Last Supper, the Passover feast, with those that are closest to him. And so he's sitting there, and they're in this moment, and then he does something that is a game changer for them. For one man in particular, uh, who was known as Peter to the disciples, it was a real game changer for him. And I believe that it is just as much of a game changer for us here today. So I want you to hear this passage of scripture from Luke chapter 22. Jesus is sitting there, and I'm reading from the message version. Simon... Now, he calls him Simon. That's his birth name. I told you that this was a game changer for a guy named Peter. Well, the really interesting thing to note is that Simon and Peter were the same person. But Jesus had named, renamed Simon Peter because Simon meant shifty and shady. I mean, that's like his birth name. Wouldn't that bite, right, if your parents named you something that meant shifty and shady? So Jesus, you know, renames him, and instead of calling him shifty and shady, he renames him to mean the rock. And so Peter was the rock, and Jesus had even gone on to tell him earlier in their ministry together, hey, on you, the church will be built, the rock, you, you're going to be the foundation of that, and, and hopefully you're going to figure that out. So they're sitting at this dinner, and now keep in mind, in Peter's mind, he, had, he was Peter. Jesus had renamed him, and all of a sudden, in the, like this intimate and holy moment, Jesus goes, Simon. 
Now, don't you imagine if you were Peter in that moment, you'd be just a little confused, like, why all of a sudden, have, what have I done? Like, I've moved backward. You know, it'd be like your parents calling you by all of your names. Did, any, did that ever happen to you? Like, uh, if for our children, if I said, or Scott said, Lane Elizabeth Smith, or Andrew Paul Smith, and that's why we didn't name Andrew Stephen, because we didn't want his initials to be ASS. We named him Andrew Paul. <laughs> Just a fun fact for me that you probably didn't want to know, but I wanted to give it to you anyway. So uh, when they call you about all three names, you're like, oh, man, I've messed up. So when they're sitting there in the sacred and holy time and Jesus goes, Simon, Peter had to be like, oh, man, this isn't going to go well. Jesus said, Simon, stay on your toes. Satan, the accuser evil, whatever you want to call it, Satan has tried his best to separate all of you from me like chaff from wheat. Simon, I've prayed for you in particular that you don't give in or give out. When you have come through the time of testing, turn to your companions And give them a fresh start. Simon goes on to argue with Jesus. He's like, Master, look, I'm ready for anything with you. I'm going to die on the hill for you. I'd do, I'd go to jail for you. And Jesus is like, "Mm." by the time the rooster crows three times, you will have denied me. So I just read for you a powerful story out of scripture. I hope, I hope you listen, but um, there are odds, and I even asked Brian, who is our amazing drummer, uh, I'm like, hey, question for you. If I am preaching, and the skeleton is on my back the whole time, would that be distracting to you? And he's like, yeah, a little bit. And I'm like, okay, good. So that's what I needed him to say. You know, I don't know if you really heard the story because there is a skeleton attached to my back, and I'm going to be frank with you. It's annoying me because it keeps hitting my heels, and it's messing up my hair, and you know that's more important than hitting my shoes and because um, I'm vain like that. And so anyway, I'm going to take the skeleton off, and I'm going to lay the skeleton down. Nicely, too, man. That was good. That's what we've got to do. That's what we've got to do to have life that's full and rich and good. And one of the really, really cool things that I think that we have uncovered together as a group of people over the last several weeks in this message series is that in this, in Holy Scripture, there are so many stories of failure and and screw-ups and mess-ups, and we get to see how God has redeemed and is redeeming them all. And today is, is just as much of a powerful story as the others because, you know, Jesus is predicting to Simon, Mr. Shifty, Mr. Shady, who he has renamed already, you know, Rock, and told him, you're the one that I'm going to build my church on top of. You're the man. But he knows he's going to mess up. So he knows it ahead of time. And that's the beautiful message for today. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, all that rolled up in one. God knows that we are going to mess up. 
So today, we're not just going to talk about the skeletons that are in our past and all that kind of stuff. I want us to think about the skeletons that we are holding on to now. Like, you drove to church, whether you admit it or not, you drove to church with a skeleton on your back, or you are sitting in your home or your car or wherever you are right now, and you've got skeletons on your back. We all do. Simon had it on him that night when Jesus said, Simon, Simon. You better, you better stay on your toes. Satan has tried his best to separate all of you from me like chaff from wheat. Now, what in the world is chaff and wheat? I had to Google it. Chaff is the inedible part. It's the, the, the stuff you don't need, you don't eat. The wheat is the, the edible part. So you've got some, some junk. And then you've got the stuff that gives life and nourishment and that really matters. So Satan, and we don't like to talk about Satan, you know, because that's a little uncomfortable. We all just want to know that God loves us and then we get to go home and go about our week. But, you know, the reality is that there's good and there's God and there's life and then there's bad and there's Satan and there's evil and there's death. So for all of the good things... There's a counter, counter war that goes on in our lives, and we don't want to think about it, we don't want to talk about it, but guess what? It's real. And so Jesus is sitting there with his closest friends and followers, and he's like, look, Satan, he's out to get us, he's out to get you, Simon, shifty, shady, he wants to separate us, like the chaff from the wheat, he wants the, the, the junk To go over here and and guess where Satan would have put Simon. But listen to what Jesus says now that the skeleton is off my back. Because that's the goal for today. I want us to all get our skeletons off our back. Listen to what Jesus says to him. And it's the same thing that Jesus says to us. Simon, I've prayed for you. How powerful. How powerful, I mean, we think about praying, right? Jesus says, I prayed for you. And listen to what he prayed for. This is the game changer. I've prayed for you in particular that you don't give in and you don't give out or up. Jesus prayed for Simon I'm praying for you. I've prayed for you that you don't give out and you don't give in and you don't give up. And then he says, when you have come through the time of testing, turn to your companions and give them a fresh start. Do you think it's interesting that he didn't say if? Jesus did not say if. He said when. Whatever skeleton is on your back this morning, whatever skeletons in your life, whatever failures in your life you have crammed in your closet, under your bed, in your drawers, uh, whatever you've got going on, we have a God that loves us so much that God is our advocate against evil And that same God says, when you come through your time of testing, 
Jesus knew he was going to screw up. He knew ahead of time. He even goes on to tell him, look, the rooster's going to crow. You will have betrayed me. That had to hurt Simon Peter to his core. Not only for the idea to exist, but for Jesus to, like, believe it. I mean, it wasn't like, well, you might or you might not. I'm not really sure it's a 50-50, let's flip a coin. It wasn't any of that. It's like, you're going to betray me. You're going to turn your back on me, not just once, not just twice, but three times. You are going to leave me. And when you do, and when, after you've messed up so bad, that you've turned your back on the the Savior of the world, the one who's going to sacrifice his life, after you've turned your back to that, when you come back to God and to faith and to me, go change other people. Show them that the worst things are never the last things. And give them life in me that's how we get our skeletons on our back off our back we realize we've all got them they're heavy they're cumbersome they get in the way they mess us up it is not an if we screw up it is a when and we all do it but the good news is we get to go through it We get to walk through our mess-ups. And we get to turn around and turn back to God. And then we get to realize that the worst things are never the last things. So, I've wrestled with what little magic illustration I give you this morning. You like the funny stories and I like the self-deprecating ones. They're, you know, more comfortable. I'm going to tell you a real one. They're all real, but some are funnier than others and lighter than others. This one's not light. It's not one I'm proud of either. But you need to know that as your pastor, as your leader, you know, I've got some stuff too. I've got some skeletons and they get doggone heavy. This week I was in uh, this lead academy, and after I got home, I called it preacher purgatory because it was uncomfortable. If you don't know what purgatory is, it's that place between heaven and hell where there's like nothing, and Catholics believe in that. Uh, We don't necessarily as United Methodists, but you didn't laugh when I said purgatory, so I'm realizing you may not know what in the world I'm talking about. Um, It's a bad thing, okay? Let me just lay it there. It's not a good thing. Um... I called it preacher purgatory because it got a little uncomfortable midweek. And uh, we had gone to dinner, and I was sitting across from a pastor that I respect infinitely, and uh, a former senior pastor of mine, and then another dear friend who, like, launched this church, and it's like, I don't know, multiple thousands of people. And we were sitting there at dinner, and my friend looked at me and said, all right, I got a question for you. I'm like, okay. Why are you so self-deprecating all the time? And I was like, she had mentioned this to me before on other trips, and I'm like, you know, she's like, look, I I don't believe it. 
I don't believe your shtick. I think that's just what you say, trying to be fake humble. I don't believe it. And then she got to know me. And she got to see that, yeah, like, I really do believe that. I do struggle with some of those things. And so at dinner the other night, I, you know, I had figured that conversation was one and done. So why are you so self-deprecating? I need to figure this out. You know, like, you got this going for you, this going for you, this going for you, but yet you are the one. You are the one that puts yourself down all the time. Now, you know what? I think God uses things that we've got in our life to speak to us. And if we don't listen the first time, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. It doesn't go away. I've had clergy colleagues that listen to me preach say, well, you were really funny, but in that illustration, you like kept, you kept going and you took it too far and, and you self-deprecated yourself. You undermine your leadership for the people that trust you as their pastor because you are so self-deprecating. And then you should have some faith in your leadership team because they said the same thing like a couple of months ago. They're like, we love you. We support you. Stop cutting yourself down on Sunday mornings. It's one thing to be funny. It's another thing to undermine your authority and your giftedness. And please hear me say, I don't think I'm like all that. I'm just telling you what has happened and what's real. Because the real stuff You've got it going on in your life, too. We just don't want to admit it, and we don't want to look at it, and we certainly don't necessarily want to take it off of us because it's uncomfortable when we lay it down. So in front of, like, a former senior pastor, a trusted colleague, she goes, why are you so self-deprecating? It just doesn't make logical sense. I started with the whole, I don't have the right degree argument. I don't have a master's of divinity. You know, I've only got a master's of education. Like, I mean, that sounds snobby, right? Like, well, I've only got this. And somebody said, well, you have a terminal degree. You got a doctorate. Don't you think that amounts for something in religious circles? I'm like, well. And they're like, well, do you hear yourself well? And so I sat there and I tried to think through other other reasons that I do it, and um, finally, I figured I may as well just own it and own the truth. Years ago, when we got ready to do this thing called West, uh, a trusted and uh, respected person in my life who spoke truth into my gifts and also my weaknesses sat me down and said, you know, here's what I think is going to happen with Wes, number one, number two, number three. And at the end of number three, they said, and I think you'll fail. Now, clearly, we didn't fail. You're here. I mean, that's not a failure. But then they went on to give prophecy to what this would look like. You'll never get more than two or three hundred people, period, ever. You'll be just another limping along United Methodist Church. Therefore, I don't think you should do it. Those words have haunted me for eight years. Haunted me. And, you know, I try not to, but I do stalk our attendance a little bit like a, a, you know, a very unhealthy serial killer, you know, every Sunday. Like, how many do we have? 
when we were sitting at dinner that night and they kept pushing me and then kept saying the things that everybody else has said, you know, if you self-deprecate enough, you're undermining your authority. And these people, like, they look to you and they listen to you. And they need you to not think so poorly of yourself that you don't give what you have to say because God gave you what to say, any worth and value. So maybe you might want to get over your fear of failure. And maybe you want to own who it is that God has called you to be despite who others have said you would be. That was my skeleton. I'd never voiced out loud to Scott, to my friends, to the leadership team, hey, somebody that I really trust and really uh, cared about told me we'd never get past this. And so guess what? I'm going to kill myself trying to get us past this and not have any boundaries around my life and not do anything else. I'm just going to die trying. Not because I want the kingdom of God to win and not because I want us to reach people with the message of Jesus Christ, but because I don't want to be a failure. When Andrea Smith dies and whatever you put on my little stone that goes on my urn or whatever you want to call it, I want you to be able to say, well, she didn't fail. We're all going to fail. You hear me? We're all going to fail. Simon, Shifty, Peter, Rock turned his back on Jesus. And Jesus said, not if you get through the test and the trial, but when you get through the test and the trial, then everything changes. And it's a game changer. I am the game changer. Don't be afraid to confront your skeletons. Don't be afraid to confront evil. Don't be afraid to confront Satan. Know that I've got your back. For me, man, I had a lot of stuff wrapped up in my ego, right? Ego's a bad, bad, bad thing, pride and ego. It's all about my ego and my self-esteem and and how it's attached to some uh, worship numbers. And so when they didn't go where I wanted them to go, then I'll be daggum. I'm going to self-deprecate until you feel sorry for me. And then maybe you'll come to church then, right? My fear of failure in my career has weighed me down far more than I could ever explain to you right here, right now. And when I realized that at that table the other night, and I realized that I had let another human being define my self-worth instead of God, I began to weep. And then another colleague took me. We walked back. And he took me by the shoulders and and he prayed for me. And he said, Satan, I want you to release your hold on her and on this church. And let them do what it is that they're called to do for the kingdom of God. When I went back and read the passage for today, I'm like, oh, yeah, Satan. Hmm. And when my friend prayed that, I was a little uncomfortable because I don't go around going, you know, Satan, release your hold. Jesus told Peter, Satan is working on you. 
I'm not the only one here today or listening to this that Satan's working on. God knows every dysfunction. God knows every mess. God knows every mistake. God knows every bad thing you've thought or you're going to think. God knows every skeleton we've got that we are carrying around. And God says, I'm going to pray you through it. And then all you have to do is let it go. I want you to do something with me. I want you to crow like a rooster. Okay? Remember, I just like bore my soul to you, and that's like something I'm not really proud of, so feel sorry for me for just a second, and, and crow with me. All right, ready? On three. One, two, three. Thank you. That was bad. I didn't crow because I thought I was going to start coughing and then not stop. Let, let's do that again. All right. Ready? One, two, three. Good. See? What are you going to do the next time you hear the rooster crow? When Peter left that holy time, they went out to the garden and Then the soldiers came to arrest him, and he drew his sword, cut off somebody's ear, and Jesus healed the man and all this. And then later on, you know, when they were trying Jesus, three different people or three different instances, they're like, hey, do you know him? Peter's like, "Mm mm-mm, not me. And then the sound of the rooster. Then they asked him again, do you know him? Peter's like, "Mm mm-mm, not me, I don't know him. And the rooster crowed again. And then they did it one more time. And the rooster crowed again. And then the prophecy was true. But you know what? Peter went on to be the foundation of the church. He's the one that gave us the vision that the church should be open to all people. And that... uh, There's no clean and unclean things. God loves everyone. And maybe, maybe we've lost sight because we're so immersed in all the rules and the polity. Peter went on to die for his faith. But he still heard the rooster crow. What are we going to say in our own lives the next time we hear the rooster crow? Are we going to ignore it and push it aside like I did when colleagues told me you're self-deprecating, you're undermining your own leadership, when leadership said you're self-deprecating, you're undermining your own leadership? You know, both of those times I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. And then it took like, you know, a messy, snotty cry at a dinner table with like, you know, stuff coming down my face for me to go, I know it's a problem. And it's because I'm driven by my pride and my ego and not by God. Not one of my proudest moments, but true. Because I had my own skeleton. Because I was worried about living into the call of a human being instead of worrying about living into the call of God. When the rooster crows, what we're called to do is say, Mr. Rooster, 
you don't win. Satan, evil, darkness, death, you don't win. You don't define me. I love and give my life to a God that gave his life for me so that I may see that it is death to myself and death to my pride and death to my ego and death to anything that is anything other than love. I have that God praying for me so that when I come through my trials and my tests and my temptations, when I walk through those, I'm going to be the me the amazing, gifted, wonderful me that God created me to be. So, Mr. Rooster, you do not get to define me. Think about that the next time your rooster crows. Think about who it is that God is calling you to be and what God's calling you to let go of. Pray with me. Gracious God, will you pour out your presence on this bread and on this cup? Thank you for being a God that speaks to us and in us and enables us to be free. We offer you ourselves, and we ask that you show us the demons that get in the way of us truly living into being who it is that you call us to be. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. I had no idea how much I had been crippled by the fear of failure based on one human being's perception. I mean, like, it had gotten really, really heavy. And I was letting myself be driven by trying to live out of overcoming that fear instead of being at one with God. We all do it. Now, you can uh, base your own conclusions on the irony of this. But this was my verse of the day this morning. And keep in mind, the scripture and all that was planned long before right now. It was written by Peter. You know, the one who, like, really betrayed Jesus. He was writing to some new churches. Now that you've cleaned up your lives by following the truth, love one another as if your lives depended on it. Your new life is not like your old life. Your old birth came from mortals. Your new birth comes from God's living word. Just think, a life conceived by God himself. The old life is a grass life. Its beauty is short-lived as wildflowers. Grass dries up, flowers droop. God's word goes on and on forever, and that is the word that conceived the new life in you. After my really ugly snot cry, you know, with those people at dinner and Lowell prayed over me. The next day I blew off the afternoon session. There's a shocker for everybody that I broke the rules and went out to the beach and I just sat and watched the waves go over and over again. And I said to God, I'm sorry because I let myself be driven by human things and not by you. And I felt like the weight of the world truly had been lifted off my shoulders. So much so that the next morning I was up at 4 a.m., no alarm clock, and I drove home and was ready to conquer the day and conquer whatever it is God has for us here. Don't be afraid to fail. 
don't be afraid of your fear. And don't be afraid to let your skeletons go. God's a really big God. Amen.